Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience podcast with Jeanette Lissette. Thought leaders explore the mindset, wellness, and wealth needed to realize next level transformation. Let's get started. Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Lissette. Today's guest is Chad Hufford. Chad is a husband and father of six kiddos from Anchorage, Alaska, born and raised. He has 17 years of experience owning and running a financial planning firm based out of Anchorage that manages roughly over a billion dollars for hundreds of families across the United States. But in the work that he does, he's realized that managing his clients' mindsets, behaviors, and habits is really the most crucial part of the work that he does. Leveraging a background in biochemistry and two decades of high-performance athletic training and sports psychology, he's blended these into an elite wealth coaching program, helping people create a better relationship with their future by creating the habits, mindsets, and behaviors necessary to succeed in investing and in life in general. Chad, welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Jeanette, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure already. It's an honor to be here. I really appreciate that the next chapter experience has three pillars and the three pillars are mindset, wellness, and wealth. So that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited to talk to you about all of the things that really make up your platform. I know that the three pillars for you are finance, fitness, and faith. So let's start there. Why are those the three pillars that you focus on and build your practice around? It's a great question because if you only have two out of those three or one out of those three, I think it's very difficult to live a life of freedom and abundance. And I say, abundance. I'm talking about way more than finances and money, but let's just start on that right there. If you have somebody who doesn't have the right mindset, they don't have healthy relationships, they don't have the right perspective and viewpoint, doesn't matter how much money that person has, they're still going to live in scarcity. You have somebody who's greedy or manipulative their money. It comes from a scarcity mindset. They're trying to hold on to protect themselves with money because of something much, much deeper. And money typically, Jeanette, makes us more of who we already are. It takes all of our characteristics, good and bad, and it magnifies them. So if somebody has a lot of money, but they don't have physical health, how much is that worth? They don't have freedom. They don't have abundance. In fact, George Eastman, the person who started Kodak, he was one of the wealthiest men in America, one of the most powerful, most influential. The Kodak Eastman company was one of the largest companies in the entire world. I don't know if you know this, but he actually committed suicide. He was in his seventies. He had a terrible spinal condition that caused him tremendous pain. He was living in pain all the time. It caused great depression. So this physical pain manifests itself in emotional distress. And at that time, they did not have the medical technology to treat it or do anything. So even though he had tremendous wealth, he did not have the, the mental and physical health in order to enjoy it. Now, that may be a little bit of an extreme example, but you pour on more and more money to somebody who's suffering, it doesn't help. It doesn't take away that pain. And when you talk about faith, without hope and without something bigger than yourself, without being involved in in, in something that's more than just about you, I think it's, it's very difficult to feel an abundant life. Even if you're healthy, you have a lot of money, but if there's not a, a greater purpose, if it's just about you enjoying you, people get pretty lonely and they can feel hopeless. They can feel helpless, even though from the outside looking in, they have it all together. And if you have great health, but you have no money, you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're in debt, that stress will build pretty soon. It'll affect your physical health. So I think all those things tie together. If you take just one out of the equation, the other two often start to suffer or the other two don't have as much of an impact. It makes a lot of sense to me. So when you're working with clients, what was the process that you have in getting to know them and understanding what their relationship 
relationship is with the present as well as how they look at future? That's a great question. One of the first things that we ask is, what do you want the future to look like? What We don't even call it retirement anymore. We call it a work optional lifestyle because this idea of retirement has some connotations and, and some viewpoints that I think can be destructive. The folks that we work with, Jeanette, they're more ambitious, they're more goal-focused, they're more disciplined. They're not necessarily the most educated. They don't have this pedigree, but they have a certain mindset and a drive and an ambition. They're the worst kind of people to sit around and do nothing. So <laughs> we talk about this idea of a work-optional lifestyle where you are able to support yourself outside of a paycheck, outside of a job. You have enough money coming in from your investments, not just to survive, but to live a comfortable life on your terms. So we ask people, what would that look like? And what would change? What would be different about your life if you no longer had to go back to work? And for some people, they still would have their job, or maybe they would start their own business, or maybe they would volunteer. There's a career that they've always been fascinated with, but it just doesn't make much money. That's what they want to do. Maybe it's traveling, maybe it's hobbies, maybe it's spending more time with their grandkids. We've got a guy up in Fairbanks, Alaska, which is frighteningly close to the Arctic Circle. It's very cold in the winter up there, but they love it. He he worked for the oil industry for over 40 years. So now he takes his grandkids, they go canoeing, dirt bike riding, and all these different things, and just really speaking into the lives of his grandkids. He's impacting their world and their circle through them. We have people that are doing all kinds of different things, but it's asking, getting people to start thinking about what do they they want the future to look like so they can start connecting what they're doing today to that future vision. And I think, and this goes way beyond finances. I think a lot of folks suffer from a lack of vision for how they want their life to play out. People often don't know where they want to be, what they want to be doing, and who they want to become. The future actually is now. There's no age specific parameters around what a work optional lifestyle can be. A lot of people think about the next chapter experience. They think that means retirement. And to be quite frank, I'm not talking about retirement. I'm talking about what you choose to do next relative to where you currently are. So the question that I have for you is based on demographics, are most of your clients more towards the 40s, 50s, or do you have a range of even some younger individuals who are looking towards the future of what they want, the lifestyle that they actually want? And sometimes it's sooner than later. The folks I'm working with individually uh, are in the 50, 65 range. That's probably average. My firm as a whole, we help some folks that are fresh out of college. So our youngest clients are probably in their early 20s. We have uh, a few in their mid 90s. A lot of the folks uh, are in that 40 to range. We have a lot of folks that are already retired. I told somebody the other day, it's never the wrong time to start doing the right thing. So somebody thinking that they're 25 might think, well, I have, I have plenty of time to learn about this and to deal with this and I'll figure it out in the future. Future me can solve this problem. And the problem is 25 turns into 45 before people know it. If people create the habit of not dealing, the future catches up. The other side of that too is a little bit of work in your 20s might save a ton of work in your 40s and 50s. Even on the other side of that equation, we have folks in their 60s that didn't plan, that didn't do a lot of the right things. And they're thinking, well, it's too late for me. It's never the wrong time to do the right thing. Now, are you going to have to work out harder? Yes. Are you going to be able to have as much freedom and flexibility as you would have if you started in your 20s or 30s? No. But you can still make a difference in, in your future. You had a gentleman on a few weeks ago, um, uh, Adam Hart, and, and he talked about the power of choice. And it's important for people to have a sense of agency that I may not be able to fix everything, but I can fix something. I can make a difference in my future. 
And it starts with this action. It starts with this choice. It starts with this habit, this decision. Everybody can make a difference in their future. I love that. I love that primarily because of the mindset component. As you mentioned, someone in their 60s might be thinking or 65 might be thinking, what's the point? My runway has gotten much shorter. I don't have a lot of time to make up any mistakes that I've, I've made or even to make a difference. However, in conversations with so many of my guests, we talk about the power of now. So I like the conversation about having the option to go the direction you want to go. It's a personal thing. It really is a personal thing. Yes, we can retire and make the rest of the time left sitting in front of the TV, absorbing whatever the media is throwing at us, or we can get out there and make some other things happen that are more, I would say, heart-based, that can make a difference in someone's life. Even sharing best practices of what you do to make life great, it's important. Not to just say, this is the end, I'm at 60 or 65 or whatever the, the, the age range is, even though it seems that the system makes you feel that way, if you buy into that's what it will be. Yeah, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you touched on so many things. And I, I'll try to remember some of what you said. I was trying to, trying to listen to what you said rather than create my response. But you opened up a lot of great points. And, and number one is I think a lot of folks don't realize how much time they, even if you're 65 years old, you might have another 20, 25 years of potential impact. If they're 65 or they're 60 or they're 70. They've got decades and decades of experience. Now, let's say they're financially independent at 65. Not only have decades and decades of experience, they've had decades and decades of experience that have allowed them to get to a point where not a lot of folks get to be. They, they've accomplished something that's relatively rare. That, they have a lot to share. They have a lot to give. And I love the idea of even the title of your podcast, this next chapter. A lot of people treat retirement like it's the end of the book. And I think that is it is such a detrimental, destructive way to look at it. I believe that when you get to a point of financial freedom, whether that's in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, when you don't have to go to your job every day, and not to say that some people's jobs can't be very meaningful, impactful, and fulfilling, but when you get to wake up and do whatever you want to do, not because it's, it's comfortable for you, but what's meaningful for others and you can take your gifting, your experience, and, and use that in the service of others. There's a great quote, and I, uh, I cannot remember offhand who said it, but he says, we are designed to exploit our uniqueness in the service of others. And when you don't have to go through the bureaucracy of your nine to five and doing what that corporation, that company, that nonprofit wants, you can do what you're uniquely called to do. I believe the retirement for people, the, the work optional lifestyle, their 60s, 70s, and 80s can actually be the most impactful years of their life because they don't have the constraints of worrying about paying off their house and how to get their kids through college and how to pay the, the electric bill. If they're financially set, all those worries go off in the background, all that mental space that a lot of people use worrying about how to make ends meet. That space in their head is cleared and it's open for more creative and impactful work. So I, I believe we need to turn this idea on its head that there's a finish line. I think it, it's, it's very destructive to look at retirement as a finish line. It's a milestone. Absolutely. When you no longer need your paycheck, when you're financially independent, people should celebrate that. That's amazing. But you shouldn't stop. We can move on from this if you'd like. But I just want to throw a quick story out there. It's, we talked a little bit about this before the show went live. And 
I have a background in training athletes and that was another life. And I still am involved in that. One of the guys I talked to was an Olympic skier for Canada, skied, I think three different Olympics. He was talking about one of the most exhilarating moments of his life was standing on the podium and realizing that he was at the peak. He was at the pinnacle. He was at the absolute top of the skiing world, quite literally standing on the podium. He said the next morning, was one of the most empty feelings he's ever had because he realized if he sacrificed another four years of his life, ruling workouts, tremendous amount of difficulty and in giving up life to be able to train at best, if everything went perfectly at best, he might be able to get back to where he was the day before. He just had this overwhelming sense of, is that all there is? I sacrificed all of that for something that was so fleeting because there was a finish line there for him. I think a lot of those feelings happen to people when they've been able to accumulate wealth, but didn't necessarily have a purpose for it. They quit their job, they end their career, they unplug from that, but they don't have anything to plug into. And there's a very haunting feeling of emptiness that comes with that. I can, I can somewhat relate to that in different segments of my career where I achieved certain milestones and then was offered an opportunity to move to another level. The thought that occurred to me was, who will I become? If I'm not doing this, then who am I? So I go to the next level and I do my thing there and then I'm offered another opportunity. However, as you continue to play that loop out, I got to a point where I said, I'm ready to end this career at this point to become who I know I can be. Did I make the right decision? I said to myself, yes, because you chose yourself. I choose me. That was really the catalyst that got things going. So I can totally relate to what you're saying about that. It's important to realize too, and when we see this person of who we could become, a lot of times we have to sacrifice pieces of who we are today to become who we could be in the future. And that's hard, but it's, it's getting out of a comfort zone. It's experiencing doubt and failure. Yes. <laughs> and, and those are uncomfortable things. A big part of what we try to do is, is help people through that discomfort. We can't necessarily remove it, but to give people confidence in that because life is difficult. Life is full of uncertainty. It always has been. It always will be. We can't remove uncertainty. What we can do is give people back a sense of control and agency and let them see what they can do to impact their future mm -hmm. and allow them, not to say that we're human beings. We are out of control of a lot, but too often we give away the things that we can control that we at least have influence over. And we just let life happen to us. This is, I'm making broad generalizations here, but a lot of folks live reactively. They don't live intentionally. And that's what we're trying to do is help people change that. Mm -hmm. And how do you go about doing that? How do we start? It's creating a vision for what they want life to look like and writing down, and not just financial goals, but lifestyle. What would a week look like? What would a day look like? What would be important to them? I think it's so important for people to have meaningful pursuit. Otherwise, we're like a dog chasing a bus. If they catch it, they have no idea what to do with it. Mm -hmm. So we have to have meaningful pursuit. And that means something that's challenging. It's something that is inspiring. There's often a sense of difficulty there. It has to stretch us. 
We want to ask those questions. What we were basically trying to do is create a more tangible idea of what the future version of that person is going to look like, what they're going to be doing, because the future is very abstract. We don't have very good relationships with our future. We make a lot of decisions in the moment that actually harm our future selves. And it's easy to treat future Jeanette, future Chad, as if they're completely different people. Future Chad can solve that problem. He's got to deal with making payments on that couch, no interest for a year. That's 2024 Chad's problem. Not my problem. I just got a free couch. But we think like that, connecting people again to their actions today, getting them to connect that to where they want to be in the future is a big piece of that and allowing people to see what they can do. Sometimes it's the smallest step you can make towards that vision. And, and we prioritize that. We're not gonna, we're not gonna try to solve everything right now. If we try to change a hundred things, no lasting change will come out of it. I used to write diet plans for people. My my degree is actually in biochemistry. I have kept up on on biochemistry and science and nutrition and used to help a lot of folks with diets. And a lot of times people would write out what they were eating and I like, there's 27 things we got to change here. <laughs> But it would never be sustainable. It was too much change. So what I started doing is we would pick one thing. What is the one thing we can do? Jeanette, you might be drinking four sodas a day. We're going to cut it down to three. Now, is three sodas a day still terrible for you? Yes. But is it a step towards a healthier version of you from four? Absolutely. And if you can do three for two weeks or a month, you can cut down to two. I'm not worried about your health so much in two weeks or a month. It's about your health for the rest of your life. And same thing with finances. If we can start prioritizing these steps, giving people that sense of control that they can take an action to put themselves in a better financial place in the future. And then we start lining that out. There's a pathway that they can follow or a blueprint, if you will. They have a vision of the financial house that they want. Now they have a blueprint and they can start building. They can see the progress. And there's little milestones along the way. Human beings need to have victories. We need to have something to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Now, as a kid, you're playing games. I have a three-year-old and he's almost potty trained. And just, just when we think he's potty trained, he surprises us. But we would give him these little M&Ms, these little potty treats every time that he did his business. But as adults, we forget that we still need those treats. We need those little celebrations. And they may not be M&Ms, but something to celebrate and commemorate the progress that we have made. Because Financial independence, just physical health, relational health, strong faith, all those things are long-term. They're marathons. They're not sprints. We need those little victories along the way to keep us on track. So there's a really long-winded way of answering your question, but it's taking a clear vision of where somebody wants to be, getting honest about where they are, creating a roadmap that connects the two, and celebrating victories along the way. I love the celebrating victories. In fact, I have a community of women who are after achieving a certain level of health, if you will. One of the things that I've always said, which was shared with me um, by my doctor, he said, here's the deal. There's 365 days in a year. If you take all the holidays, all the birthdays, and all the celebrations and add those days up, and let's just say it's 100, okay, of those days throughout the year. Subtract that from 365. What's left is 265 days for you to eat like you have some sense. That made sense to me. That makes sense to me because I have an opportunity to have the treats or happy days or happy foods and things of that nature and 
still have a semblance of staying on track. Now, of course, with me, it's not 100 days because that would be devastating for me. But certainly the point being that giving yourself an opportunity to have some enjoyment. But here's the deal, though. Enjoyment has shifted. It used to be ice cream and cake and pie and candy. And now the joy might be a whole week of watermelon. Because I love watermelon. Okay, so that's my happy treat, right? I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying to have victories along the way. It's about sustainability rather than optimization. It sounds really weird because this world, especially in the self-improvement and in podcasts and in leadership seminars, about optimizing. Optimizing is only good if you can maintain it indefinitely. And a lot of times people can't, and sometimes it's unnecessary. So you think about this perfect diet, whatever that looks like. I've always been better at not eating what I shouldn't than eating what I should. If that makes sense. Like I can cut out the sweets and the candy, all that, but man, sitting down for a plate of broccoli and Brussels sprouts. And that was hard, but I'm getting used to it in the last five years. That's one of the biggest things I've done with my health is adding in all those things, all those good things. But if I tried to do that right away, it would not have been sustainable because I used to, I, this is no joke. I sit there with a bowl of broccoli and I would eat that before I'd eat dinner because I'd have to get it out of the way. And I'm like, this is going to be one of the worst parts of my evening. My wife would roll her eyes, but come on, you're making this really dramatic. I've learned to enjoy it. And to give my wife credit, she's learned how to make vegetables taste much better without doctoring up that much. Just a little bit of oil, a little bit of salt and pepper. And she's got some different secret spices. But anyways, here's the point. Too often people want to do what's optimal, but with health, with finances, with relationships, you can't do what's optimal for one week, for two weeks, for even a month, get much of a result out of it. In fact, when you start doing what you need for the future, it often makes things seem worse in the short term. You do a long run or a good workout. You wake up, you don't feel stronger and more fit. You feel sore and stiff. Yes. You eat a bowl of broccoli. You don't feel healthy and vibrant right away. You, you put money in your 401k, your Roth IRA. You don't feel wealthy. You just saw $200 disappear off your paycheck. So sometimes those long-term decisions have an immediate pain point or cost, but it's being able to wrap our minds around that to continue to do that day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, rather than jumping in like a lot of people do January 1st, they jump into the gym, they're all excited, they're gung-ho, they've never worked out in 10 years and they're figuring, I think I'm going to work out the way a Navy SEAL does. And then they're quit like after a week. And by February, Jeanette, most of those people are gone. They're out of the gym because they were worried about trying to do the best thing rather than what was sustainable. The other side of that too, is that you also have people that sit on the sidelines that don't want to do anything. I don't know what the best investing strategy is. I don't know what the best budget looks like or the best app, or I don't have all this figured out. So I'm going to stay on the sidelines. I'm just going to do nothing until perfect comes along, picks me up and takes me away on its chariot. That's being pulled by unicorns. All right. Perfect doesn't exist. And we have to be okay with what, what works and making it sustainable and continuing to commit to that path going forward. And then pivoting is necessary, but we can't wait for perfect. We can't wait for optimal. It has to be sustainable. Absolutely. I'm getting the feeling from just talking with you that part of what you do also is educating and empowering your client. Now, based on the bio that I read about you, you are a Dave Ramsey smart investor pro. What 
does that mean? Dave Ramsey has a very successful radio show, now a podcast, videos. He's been on air for 30 years. And for some of your younger listeners, a radio is what we used to listen to. Before we could download podcasts, you actually had to time your day around the show that you want to listen to. Anyways, I've seen his principles work my entire life. I had the blessing of being raised by a father and mother who talked about finances, who were intentional about their finances. I learned a lot of these things. We were living by Dave Ramsey's principles. So I've seen those work for over four decades. Dave Ramsey puts that out and it's very high level. We have the blessing and the benefit of coming in and taking those principles, those practices and customizing them to somebody's individual financial path saying, okay, here's the big picture ideas. What does this look like for you and your individual goals? We don't believe in a one size fits all. So we take the spirit behind those things, the intentionality behind those things, and we get them to fit together based on what an individual or what a family wants to accomplish financially. Interesting. So as your clients become part of the ecosystem, you know, for Veritas Wealth Management, what are some of the ways that you continue the, the learning aspect of what you do in what they should be doing? What ways do you manage that? So one of the things that we commit to our, our families and the, the individuals we work with is, yes, we're going to help you plan. We're going to come up with your financial blueprint. Yes, we're going to try to find suitable investments, help you identify what those look. But more than any of those things, we're going to actually help you become a better investor. And giving somebody better investments doesn't make them a better investor any more than giving somebody who's out of shape a gym membership. Giving them access to the tools is very different than teaching them how to use the tools in a proper and helpful manner. Again, just like at the gym, you have somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. At best, they're not getting the results that they could. At worst, they might actually injure themselves and be worse off physically. Financial tools can be the same way. Misused, you're not going to get the best results. But even worse, you could actually harm yourself financially by misusing those. So we are in a constant state of recharting the course based on long-term goals. As goals evolve, the course does too. And then educating and encouraging. You said the word empowering. I love that word because that's what it is. It's giving people that sense of agency and the information, the resources they need to act on their plan. Not to react to the world around them, but to act on their plan. This is one of the reasons that I put myself out there to do more of these podcasts and to do some of the speaking engagements. We we do them for our clients. We do dinners and things like that. But things like podcasts and little videos, it allows me to, to drip this information on the folks we're already working with on a continual basis. Because Jeanette, you mentioned watching the news. Like we are up a 24-7 news cycle of gloom and doom and misinformation. And that's what we're fighting against. So it can't simply be this once a year, we review somebody's financial plan. Yes, that's important. We need to do that. But throughout the year, educating, encouraging, and empowering so people stay on the path. They stay motivated. They stay disciplined. And when that discipline wanes, when the patience wears thin a little bit, then we step in as that source of discipline and patience for them. We're coming alongside and we're, we're guiding those folks and helping them, again, not just become better investors, but hopefully better people in the process. I can appreciate that because in my professional walk, working with people in the financial services industry, it seems that many would like to just hand over the power to the advisor or the planner versus becoming somewhat knowledgeable or having an understanding of the things that are at their disposal. As I talk to many people, the biggest issue that they seem to have right now 
is a lack of knowledge for whatever the reason be in this age where you can just push a button and get information, okay? A lack of knowledge, a lack of ambition to actually seek it. And then the number one thing that I see a lot is debt. People are in a tremendous amount of debt. Not only the younger people coming out of school who have school loans to pay back, but then you also have the adults who have taken on debt. What's your take on all of that? You said a lot of really great things. Let me let me try to unpack some of that. Let me try to work backwards. You may have to remind me of, of some of the things that you brought up. So debt has become a way of life. It's become commonplace and we no longer see it as destructive. People talk about debt as a tool and yes, you can use it as a tool, but they used to use cocaine as a tool in the medical field. It doesn't mean it's good for you. Debt is not just financially destructive, though. It's also psychologically destructive. Like when you start your month giving away big chunks of your paycheck to the car company, to the credit card company, to your mortgage company, that's very disempowering. Not to mention the fact that most people start their month by paying everybody else and then trying to live off of what's left over. So getting out of debt, again, it's not just a financial move. It doesn't just free up your money. It frees up your mind. And the mindset piece is so important. And you mentioned people don't have knowledge for whatever reason, and it's at their fingertips. And you're right, but there's also a lot of misinformation that's also at their fingertips. And it's very hard sometimes to decipher which is which. And I, I was just on a, a show yesterday. And we talked about this. Not all data is information. Not all information is knowledge and not all knowledge is wisdom. So one of the things that we try to do is help people figure out, sift through the data to find information so they can build their knowledge and integrate that into wisdom. And there's a lot of people that have a tremendous amount of knowledge, Jeanette, but still do the wrong things. That's why the mindset is so important. It's what's going on in between our ears and connecting that to our heart. That's what needs to happen because simply having the knowledge without the intention or you said ambition to act on it is no better than not having that knowledge in the first place. And my, my office sits right in between a subway and a McDonald's. So we watch people make bad health decisions all day long. Now, I'll give it to you that at Subway, they've done a little bit better job marketing. People might think foot-long chunk of bread is somehow good for them. And Jared lost a bunch of weight, whatever. But the people pulling the McDonald's parking lot every morning, and right now it's about nine o'clock. So here in Alaska, the breakfast rush just ended. But when I pulled into my office at 7.30 this morning, it was a line wrapping around of people who were with full knowledge, starting their day with a very bad health decision. So it really is about getting knowledge and wisdom and discernment out of data and information because people are inundated with stuff, with information, with data, and it can be very distracting. And some people just shut down. Like there's so much out there. They don't know where to start. So they don't do anything. That's why we always start with long-term goals. Where do you want to be? Because if you start with where you want to be, you can filter out a lot of those things that don't line up with that pathway. You don't have to worry about some of the tactics and products and ideas that are out there. Not because they're wrong or bad. They just don't align with where you're going. I feel that a lot, especially not only in the financial or investment realm, but also in the health realm. Yes. In terms of products. Yes. Email inboxes filled with offers of this and the that, of this and the that. And I just go delete, delete because I have a path that I'm on. I'm certain that I'm on the right path. The reality is that if it's something from left field, I'm like, delete, or this one little ingredient, that's one ingredient is going to change everything for you. So having the discernment is really critical from that standpoint. I appreciate your response. I just love this conversation. I really do. How 
can our listeners and viewers on to connect with you? What's the best way? The best way is through our website, which is veritasalaska.com. We work with folks nationwide. We were founded here in Alaska back in 2007. We're also on the various social media channels. My biggest presence is probably on LinkedIn. Type in Chad Veritas or Chad Hufford Alaska. You can find me on there. But if your audience does have questions or trying to figure out how do they create that vision for the future? How do they even find out what they're going to need, what they're going to want, what a good financial path would look like? They can also email us at, okay, at veritasalaska.com and we'll get in touch and, and walk them through the steps of connecting what they do today with where they want to be in the future, making sure they have a pathway between those two. I love that. I love the fact that you're still standing after launching in 2007. We didn't get into that conversation about what it must have taken if you opened or founded your company in 2007 and lived through the financial crash. It was more than a notion to deal with. It was more than a notion. Global recession. I had a baby on the way. No formal background education in finance. I look back sometimes today. I'm like, what was I thinking? Of course, I didn't know when I started. I started within weeks of this whole thing starting to unravel. The banks just started to see what was going on. And they started writing off some of these loans in 2007. You know what? I would never want to go through that again. But I'm so glad I did because... That's where the mindset piece and the principle piece really was clear because I saw very intelligent people with fantastic investment strategies abandoning them because they were reacting out of fear. Again, going back to, to Adam, your guest from a few weeks ago, talking about people live in a reactive state of fight or flight. I saw that so clearly. And I was like, I can't just help provide people with a better plan and better investments. That won't fix the problem because when the storm hits, they're going to run. They're going to abandon it. How can I help people in the midst of the storm find opportunity where everybody else is seeing obstacles? So I think if I had started at an easier time, I might've missed that, or it might've taken me a lot longer to learn it. So I'm grateful. It was a blessing, but my goodness, it was hard. I'm sure it was. I remember that time. And um, as an investor, you had to have a lot of faith Yes, and you had to stay in the pocket or really suffer the losses. So I get what you're saying. Chad, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. I'm so glad that we connected. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing more from you in the near future. So thanks so much for being a guest on the next chapter experience. It's been an honor and the, the pleasure is mine. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated, and left a review, or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lissette at nextchapterexperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations, so until then, keep that fire burning.